This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea Sky podcast. My name is Marcus, and I'm sitting with uh, Rajan Hans, and he is running for council. And um, you're you're a young lad. You're how old are you? I'm uh, just about to be 21. 21 years old, and you're at school right now at SFU, and you're studying business. I understand. Yes. And so what you're all about to graduate, correct? Yeah. Okay. So because right there, I would worry like school and council seems to be <laughs> quite busy. Right. Right. How come you're so engaged in municipal politics? It's rare to see. Uh, we've talked to people about uh, youth engagement in municipal politics are sort of dipping low. So for uh, someone within an 18 to 34 bracket standing up and saying, I want to I want to run, it's quite a pleasant surprise. So what's your motivation for running? So me, you know, I, I've been born and raised in this town and uh, I've, I've been a actively involved member of the community for a long time and uh, I for me it's a it's the best way for me to give back uh, I take I think it's a great honor to be able to serve as a counselor and uh, and give back to the community in, in that way and uh, I'm a firm believer in um, some of the values that have been instilled in me from my parents is that if you if you feel like something's not going the right way to get involved and if uh, you can't be a complainer if you have never been a part of the solution. So this is my way of getting involved and in, in, in being a part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Well, you know, we, we are facing a big transition here in Squamish. It's a big shift happening. So you, you're joining into the fray at quite the time when we have lots of things on the horizon. We have the GAS. We have the LNG. We have housing issue. We have business issue. We have taxation issue. There's lots of things that are uh, are bubbling to the surface at this point. And, you know, for you to jump in now, especially when all the incumbents are leaving, you know, the winds of change are here. So what what do you bring to the table to add to these discussions? Right. So uh, I have, ex- have uh, experience uh, in entrepreneurship, construction, real estate. I work as an insurance agent currently, and uh, as well as my BBA uh, in, in finance. And uh, I think those skills and those those experiences provide a solid foundation to really bring to the table and bring meaningful discussion uh, before we make uh, educated decisions. And uh, I also think I represent, obviously, the 18 to 34 bracket that you mentioned. And I think for people that want to live here long term, I know a lot of my friends that uh, when, after we graduated, they couldn't wait to get out of Squamish because they didn't think there was much left for them. Soon, as soon as they leave and they, and they see what the city is like and they realize how great Squamish would be to raise a family and to really live here. And I think that's what uh, what's driving a lot of people to live here. They want to raise their young families here. They have uh, There's so much recreation op- opportunities within Squamish. So I think it's very important to, to have that voice uh, as, as a young person for that younger demographic to, uh, to really have a voice at the council table. I agree. I mean, to get the 18 to 34 engaged is, is I think, paramount because they're the most unsung group, I think, uh, of, of voters. We talked to Doug Monroe from Quest University, and he said the biggest gap is those 18 to 34-year-olds. They don't, just, they don't come out and vote because they're not engaged, right? So how do you, br- how do you plan on bringing that engagement? I'm very active on social media. And I think, uh, I think that's going to play a big part in my campaign and I think a lot of other counselors' campaigns. And uh, I think growing up in Squamish and having a very uh, diverse friend group within that 18 to 34 range is really going to help uh, bring a lot of young people out. I've been calling up my friends for the last uh, few weeks and uh, months preceding that and getting people engaged and letting, uh, getting them registered on, online and you know, hyping them up and trying to get them out to vote. Uh, this upcoming election. What are the big issues for your age group for the 18 to 34? What are your friends telling you you need to you need to get in there and, and, and solve? Yeah, so for that age group, uh, housing is especially a big one, transit, and uh, and the economic growth, and that that's what I the three issues I'm running my platform on, and, and almost you know 90% of other candidates are you know that those are the three main issues facing our community. But what I found interesting was it almost didn't matter which age group we were in, housing, uh, transportation, and economic growth played a role in all um, all the different age groups that I've talked to. 
um, for you know the the younger people, um, it's daunting to try to you know for them to think even think about buying a place or buying a house, especially when you know rents are so high here. And uh, I think housing you know goes all the way across the board. You know if you if you don't own a house now, it's it's scary, right? Whether you're a senior or you know you're Gen X or you know whatever generation you you, you the bracket you fall apart in. It's it's a uh, it's scary. Yeah, the home, homes are expensive, but rent. It's funny how you say your your friends want to get to Vancouver, and then they realize like rents in Vancouver. I mean, what is it uh, cost of living in Vancouver? Rent is uh, three thousand something, and Squamish it's not as much as Whistler, but still a little bit lower. But you're right, it is high. Mm-hmm. So where do we start? Where 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 do we start with the housing? Start controlling how housing is built. Do we control where uh, we develop? Or do we continue densifying? Where do you stand on the housing crisis? How do we how do we get along and rectifying this issue right so first i'll touch on uh densifying or infill i think uh i think it's either done right or it's done completely wrong Uh, if you're infilling there has to be a very very strong plan in place you have to know which neighborhoods and how and where and everything i mean you can't just approve a development and then you know think about what's you know you should know which parcels are 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 ideal for development or where, where we stand and really get a a feel for for the plan of the ne- that neighborhood. I think trail connectivity, transit, uh, sidewalks—they're all really important when we're looking at densifying neighborhoods and parking as well. You know that seems to be a very hot topic uh, in town. That's well, because everyone has gear. <laughs> Their garages are full of of bikes and skis and boards and wakeboards and whatever, and they have one car that's in their driveway, and the secondary car that they travel in the city with is on the street somewhere. Exactly. Touching back on housing, I think. A strong policy is very important, but to bring real affordability is tough at the municipal uh, municipal level, in my mind. I think when you're looking at an industry that's obviously, you know, in, in a free market society, profit oriented, and everyone's, you know, that's that's their job. They have shareholders to satisfy, and they want to make, you know, as much money as possible. So when you look at a business model like that, and you ask them to build affordable housing, I think it's very tough without incentivization. And I think bringing, uh, bringing same for rental housing, same thing. Yeah, for, I think for rental housing as well, because I wish we do want rental housing, but really want subsidized rental housing. I think that's going to fix the problem. Having more more rentals sure can play a part, and you know, the greater the supply, you, you you lower your rents a little bit. But I mean, to get real affordable housing and subsidized rental housing, it, it takes great incentive, and I think that incentive is best provided at the provincial and federal levels of, of government. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's a, they are rolling out programs since, uh, since the end of 2017. And there's a, through the Canadian Home Mortgage Corporation, I believe, they provide um, preferred rate construction financing to developers that encompass uh, a great level of affordability in their units. And they, sound, uh, they, sorry, they sign a 10-year housing agreement with the district and allowing for, for fixed, almost fixed rate rents right, that are below market. And I think lobbying those governments to bring more programs like that and bringing attention to our district is the best way to get real affordable housing and subsidized rental housing. The next problem that would present itself is the fact that we need to grow business as well, not just more housing. And the fact that we don't have that much space, and you just said so, like market dictates, right? So uh, as much as we'd love to get a lot of rental housing or affordable housing, how is that even possible if you're, if a lot of the business lands are being rezoned for 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 residential when we need to bring business zones to sort of offset all these property taxes. So I think that the trick is, is, is finding that balance, right? So where do you stand? Do, do we look at first uh, the homes and then the businesses or the businesses and then the home? Yeah. See, that's kind of the tricky part. That's where, you know, it's, it's, it's the teeter totter and you really got to get it to balance. I, I agree with what you're saying on all of our employment or employment lands are going towards housing and there's very little employment space in those big towers. 
Uh, I think that has to do with with the weak policy we have in place right now. I think a strong, the first thing I would suggest at the council table is we need to rethink our policy and really have a strong policy in place promoting our, um, our, our business space to have economic growth. I mean, you can't grow the, the, the uh, business ecosystem within our community if there's no place for those businesses to go. I think, uh, again, in, in a profit-oriented society and in, in free market, I think it's important to really incentivize the construction of, of employment space. So how would you incentivize them? We, there's no way we can give them any tax breaks because we, we are already taxing like crazy. We're a few, I think we're right about provincial par, but that's only because of some certain lobbying that this current council has done. But I mean, we've seen increases in property taxes uh, the last 10 years, it's been a fast increase. So how would you incentivize to do that? I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't particularly go the tax way. I mean, we'll talk about tax in, in a second here. And uh, what we can offer as a district, as an incentive, I think, the real thing we control is our land use and our, and our density and, and, and the zones. I think that's where you kind of have a bit of a toss up in that if I was a developer and I was looking at building something and I was getting more density for my land, I would be more inclined to, to build that if I get a density bonus, let's say. And then in that density bonus, um, like there was an interesting project done in, in the, or proposed anyways, in the industrial park where there's rental units and then, you know, underneath there's industrial space. And I think something like that with a, with a density bonus um, would be would, would some, somewhat incentivize a developer to build more employment space. And I think that's where, you know, our policy is really going to come into place. Well, I mean, that can go twofold with the rental properties. I mean, you can incentivize uh, people who are building homes to put in suites. Uh, you can basically limit the use of Airbnb um, and then getting those business spaces within the residential areas. But, I mean, you still, if you want to bring in, bigger companies, these, these rec tech companies or these ones that hired, like that employ seven to 20 professionals. And you want to get these companies in here. So we don't commute as much because it's 65% of our population commutes. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to do more, I think, than just giving them bonuses. And I think, again, we're, we're kind of taxed to the point where we can't give them too many benefits to come here. Right. So where, where do we grow? How do, how do we grow aside from the money aspect, which we have none? That's, that's an interesting way to look at it for sure. I think that's, that's very valid developer and the business are, are separate in the sense that the businesses that are going to be operating there are going to be different from the person who built that that unit, right? Uh, if we can incentivize people to build that employment space, getting the tenants and getting the businesses to move in, I don't think is up, up, to, our, is up to us, other than us, you know, are obviously attracting more business to Squamish, but filling those gaps, I think is partly going to get taken care of by the developer. I mean, They've built this now, you know, let's say two-story, you know, 16-unit building or whatever it is with employment space. It's up to them to put businesses inside. Otherwise, you know, that's why they got into the business. That's why they invested in, in that project. So I think that side is, is a lot of it is taken care of by the developer. But again, we as a district, we as councillors, especially as representatives of this community, have a responsibility to bring businesses into town. I mean, conferences or whatever you know, is going on in better communication with the Chamber of Commerce and the, and the Business Improvement Association. And, you know, using that, those two groups as a platform for attraction to say that, you know, bring business into Squamish and these groups will help you along with the district. So speaking of bringing business into Squamish, um, two big contentious issues. We'll just dive right in. LNG. Right. I, I'm assuming we need to get more money out of them. Absolutely. All right. So where, where do you stand on that? How, how, how do we get more money out of them? Or where do you think we should be doing with LNG? Right. So... You know, I think LNG is is something that's going through. Uh, there is talk about a transition pipeline that Squamish could block, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think that 
isn't a decision that's going to be made by the new council, whether it's going to stand or not. I think it's going through. But whether you were for LNG or against it, you know, money talks. The tax deal is going to be important for this community. And what we do with that money as a community is going to be important. Whether we invest into green technology or greener building practices and and incentivize, uh, you know, a greener city and take a page out of, you know, Vancouver, right? Our neighbor, you know, their motto or their objective is to be the greenest city in the world. And I think if we take a page out of their book and and get a good tax deal, if we can, and really put that money to good use uh, in the best interest of the community. Well, yeah, I mean, it is about getting all that money. I mean, I think I think we we have when it comes to also developments and housing, we have left a lot of money on the table. Uh, so getting in there and get the proper deals, but you know, not overreaching or overstepping. Yes, LNG is coming in, but I feel that we've been away from the negotiating table for too long. So it's going to be tough. You know, I think that. Uh, there's going to be a limit of how much money we're able, we'll be able to get from them. No, and, and I think that's fair. I think uh, having leverage in a negotiation is, is being there. And I think stepping away from the table for a long time really discredits that. And I think we, like you said, we've definitely left money on the table in terms of negotiations. Um, there's a lot of money being made in town and have been made in town. The way I look at it is you don't bake a pie in someone else's oven and not offer them a slice. And if they don't offer you a slice, you should at least ask for a slice. And I think uh, we as a community all take the toll of, of this development, this construction, right? It delays us when we're getting to school and there's, uh, there's dump trucks in the middle of the road, right? So I think as a community, no matter what development happens in Squamish, no matter how big or small, we should be benefiting as a community. I mean, once a building is up, you know, it can't get torn down and it can't get, you know, especially a newer building. It, it, it really plays a part in, in planning. It's important that we plan for this is because you can't, you can't go back in time and change it. I mean, once a development is up and once it's, you know, done, that's it. You know, that, that parcel is now over. So I think, uh, especially in Squamish, where, you know, in terms of the population, we're very spread out. Well, there's limitations of where we can sprawl, right? We've had, uh, we, like, we get the highlands, we sort of said no here, and we're going to densify over here. So there is a plan in place, but the, the, the OCP, I mean, do you stand with the OCP as it currently sits? I think the OCP is important because there's so much public consultation that went into it. What I do think is for those people that spent all that time and energy in, in creating the OCP and, uh, and, and contributing to the OCP, we should have a, a greater level of respect for our OCP. It, it shows respect to obviously those people that put their opinions in and also for the community because that, of course, is our, is our guideline as a community. But it's also a living document, right? So, I mean, if there's something you don't like with it, there's, you should be able to bring it up and say, listen, uh, we've grown this, we've done this, we've done this. It should be adapted, right? So, I mean, there's there's got to be certain things in that thing that's kind of nagging where it's like, no, not really, that doesn't fit where I'm what I'm aiming for, or you, you are totally with the OCP the way it is. No, I, I agree with what you're saying is in, in that it's a living document and that it should change in a sense and, and should make, sorry, not change, but adjustments uh, as we grow and as we change. I mean, you can't, uh, you can't make a, you know, a, a plan till 2040 because we don't, we don't know what's going to happen you know, tomorrow. So, uh, but I do feel that it should be treated as a bit of a, stri- a stricter guideline, in, in, especially when it, when it has to do with green space. And you know, keeping the environment protected. Well, let's let's circle back to that environment thing. And you were talking about transit earlier. Uh, Greyhound stops operating, I believe, at the end of next month. So, where where do you think we stand on, on transportation? Where where can we start alleviating some of these issues in terms of increasing transit within the corridor, or or increasing transit in general in in the district? Right. So, for transportation, I think, uh, in speaking regionally, I think to get a really good transportation model, I think it's important to assess all different possibilities. 
not just, you know, when you think transit, you think, okay, a BC Transit bus going back and forth for both whether you're going to Whistler or Pemberton or right down to Vancouver. It's important that we we don't just look at it with a narrow mind and look at it with a very open mind. I mean, there's programs like car, uh, Rideshare, right, in, in, in town as well, and different um, different solutions to the problem. Personally, I think BC Transit would be a would be a very good bet when we're talking about between Whistler and Vancouver, considering Whistler operates also on the BC Transit uh, platform. Adding another bus or adding another couple buses, I think, is uh, is a lot more feasible than than having a, you know a different different system. Uh, and same thing all the way up to up until Pemberton. I think that's definitely you know in the pipeline. Uh, and I also think it's something that the other municipalities want as well. Uh, when we're talking about Vancouver, I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky, and that's where it gets a little different. We're not, I don't think we're trying to get people out of their cars, but I think that we're, we're definitely servicing a need, whether you're looking to work, live, uh, study, or play, right? So, and so going to Vancouver, I think, is best done privately. And the reason why is if we were to have a, a regional bus, it would have to stop in all the other municipalities, right? Or they, I'm assuming that's what they would want. As a, as a province, they would want all their uh, cities to be serviced by this uh, regional bus. Uh, the same thing with West Vancouver. They have their own uh, bus line. And for that, it would also probably stop in Lines Bay and, and these other communities at Britannia Beach along the way. And for Squamish, what we really want, I think, as a, from talking to all the constituents, is to get down to D- Vancouver or to North Van or to Surrey or Burnaby or wherever you work as quick as possible. If it takes two hours to get there, they're going to want to drive. Or the people that can't drive are you know, or in, in, a, in a bit of a fix. So I think privately it's very important, uh, or, or privately is, is is the better model. So you're talking about like a ba- a balanced system where you do have some some government funded busing towards Worcester, but then you get somebody like the Squamish connector to pick up the slack between here and in Vancouver. I mean, there's also apps like Papa Ride and stuff like that, or you can jump into. But as, as if you're not feeling comfortable getting into someone's car and then giving them eight dollars to try travel each way, then those are your options. Either you, you take a bus or you drive yourself. Um, all in hopes to basically alleviate, you know, congestion and volume on the roads because a lot of people are traveling back and forth. And then again, this, this, it's funny how all these things sort of circle all together because I mean, Whistler, they're, they expect their workers to queue in. That means we need housing. That means we need more transit and it gets, it's big, it's a big cyclical issue. Right. And, and then we have something called the, the GAS, the Garibaldi at Squamish, where they expect to have a all seasons resort that put with about 22,000 beds in there. This is another big issue where, yes, it could bring a lot of traffic and tourism to Squamish, but then we're having a lot of transit issues there and, again, housing issues there and also the green space they want to use and et cetera, et cetera. It's a, it's a big ball of wax. Where do you want to start with the GAS? Yeah. So GAS or GAS, I know they're trying to change their name now and <laughs> make it a little more appealing. But uh, GAS would be the best way to go yeah. about it. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know they're working on that with the, with the Squamish Nation to get, a, to get a better name. So for, for GAS, I think... There's a lot of moving pieces with this development, and it's been around, you know, probably longer than me. I mean, uh, it's, oh yeah, yeah it's been know, decades. Yeah, decades of you know planning. Even and, before and, Whistler was Whistler, they've been talking about it. Right, right. They do have the right idea now in that it's an all seasons resort and not just a you know like three four month ski resort whenever they have you know snow all the way up there. But what I do value in that is that we're gonna, in terms of transit, anyways, is we're gonna have another player helping us with our transit issue. I think uh, that's something they're definitely going to have to battle. And their, and their 20, 22,000 beds, I think, is, is at the end of their, their fourth phase. And the very start, the next, you know, if everything goes well, from what I've heard, in the next seven years, it'll be about 5,600 
beds. And then slowly as they progress and get up to their maximum, it'll be the 22. I think for a bigger problem for, for if we're worried about all this traffic is Whistler as they're doing 11 new chairlifts in the, in the next, you know, over the next few years. So I think well, Whistler's come out and said they don't want the, the Vancouver weekenders anymore. I mean, even the mayor came out last winter in a magazine like, we don't want Vancouverites for day trips anymore. We want the elite people up here now. Uh, thankfully, they have a new mayor now. But uh, so I think JS would, would sort of fill a void for those Vancouver weekenders. I mean, we do have mountains in, in, in Vancouver. Uh, we still have Cypress and Grouse. And there, were, there was one more. It's not coming to me. You know, and then there are the two mountains in, in Whistler, Blackcomb, and then, you know, JAS, right? The My issue is, is like, you get them to pitch into transport, but I think there's going to be a lot of other things they need to pitch money into. They're going to need to pitch money into amenities, like how are we going to get water? Where are they going to get their water? Mm-hmm. Where are they going to, where are we going to get the fire department? Where, exactly. where's all this sort of thing? So, I mean, it's going to be like, yeah, I think if you want JAS to come, I, I, it's one of those things where we have one person interested and really interested, but you can't go at, at them hammering. We need A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. They'll be like, oh, okay, no. I'm right. Not gonna, I'm not going to fund into this. So what would be, say, the top three things you definitely need JAS to do for you or for the community? What they're pushing is is it's increased taxation for Squamish. We, we can get way more taxes. But we have to remember, they're going to put in their roads. They've, they've stated that they're going to put the roads in. they're going to put a satellite station for police and, and fire, but it's the maintenance. And when they're getting taxed at, at just the residential and business level, and, and I think there's 55% of them are, are housing in there, whether that's, it just, it just adds to our infrastructure, I think. And when, when we look at it in the next, let's say 20 years, when that infrastructure starts aging, how, how is that going to relate to our community? You know, how is that going to impact our community then? I mean, it, it's, it's not only about, are we getting more tax money now, but, you know, like right now, I mean, we have a hundred million dollars in infrastructure debt. We didn't plan for, for anything to do, you know, to fix that at this point when we have the problem. So I think that's, what's important in looking at GIS is what are we going to get out of it after, right? After we get a little bit of tax money in it, but when we have to do those upgrades for infrastructure, how are we going to fund that? I think that's important for, for that project. And other than that, I think, um, for, you know, th- there's a lot of moving parts to that, to that proposal. And I think there's, it's very preliminary to, to have a stance. I mean, if you, I think if you have a stance, whether it's yes or no, you're probably motivated by different things to say yes or no, because you couldn't possibly fully agree with that project at this point or disagree with it. Well, good luck with the yes or no, because that's what seems like social media is all about. It's either yes or no. And <laughs> you're going to be on, on a council uh, with brand new faces. Right. right, with a bunch of people who are going to be in your in your shoes, who's going to learn the ropes, and and learn the, the procedures and policies if you get elected. So, uh, how how do you feel about that? Uh, excited, to be honest. Uh, I think uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a good journey, and I, I think it's a little bit a little bit more comfortable uh, comforting that there's going to be some newer parties, and hopefully one party that that does know what's going on and and has uh, has experience, considerable experience, on the council table. But uh, I do feel a little bit more in the same boat kind of thing. You know, if we're, we're all going to sink, I'm in, I'm in the same boat almost like, <laughs> you know, like. Uh, we're all going to sink. Yeah. <laughs> no, not like that. But, you know, like uh, we're all, we're all going to learn together. We're all going to collaborate and learn together. There's no one. Uh, you won't feel left behind is, what, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And that we're all, you know, or most of us are going to be learning. In the I, I guess you, you feel comfortable with pretty much everyone because I think uh, there's no incumbents apart from Doug Race running. So you'll have a new mayor, new person in the chair. You'll have possibly five other faces there on council that has never, has never been there before. So it's going to be quite a challenge. And even for someone as young as you, 
uh, I would find that challenging and I I'm old. So for someone as young as you, uh, I, I, you know, I appreciate that you're going to step up and you're, you're going to try and, and do your best. What, what's your, what's your final, final thoughts, your, your parting shot. Give me, give me your, your slug line, your communication. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah. So you can head on over to my website, uh, www.rajinhands4, the number four, uh, squamish.com. And, uh, yeah, I have a great amount of information on there. I'm just working on an update for obviously the stances. Uh, most of you are going to get an idea of what I'm posting on there now on uh, GAS and uh, LNG and whatnot. And uh, other than that, you can get me on Facebook. You can type in Squamish Rajan on Facebook and get in touch with my Facebook or vote Rajan Hands for Squamish Council. And, uh, or get in touch with me, uh, touch with me on email, uh, rajan7hands at gmail.com. And if you, ever got, if you guys ever have any questions or concerns or something that you, you think I should, uh, should know about any, any proposals or any projects or anything, any issues that, you, that, uh, that concern you, get in touch right away and I'll be, I'll be happy to answer them. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.